Hey everyone, um, this is Jess. I'm so excited to introduce um, a special guest. I know I've kind of hinted at it, but I truly didn't believe it would happen until I actually saw his face pop up. Um, this Mike Flanagan is joining us, director, writer of Boy Oh Boy, Haunting Hill House, Haunting a Blind Manor, uh, Midnight Mass. Uh, what's the one where she's locked? Uh, Gerald's Game. Gerald's Game. Thank you. That one messed me up. I actually met uh, Carol. I cannot think of his last name. Uh, the the Carl Striker. Yeah, he. Mm -hmm. We met him at a um, Twin Peaks fest because we're extremely cool people. And I was like, "Sir, I just want to let you know, like, you ruined me for like two weeks." And he did not think that was funny or entertaining. So anyway, um, oh. so Mike, I reached out to you because I wanted to speak um, specifically about. I mean, I love your work, especially. I, I think I really wanted to have in Midnight Mass for obvious reasons. Um, but the thing that caught my interest was the fact that you uh, dig into sobriety and specifically AA. And you do that in a few of your things. And if I am speaking on turn, I could be wrong. Did Hill House come out before you were sober? Yes, it did. Okay. So that was, I think, what grabbed me. So you had an interest in the 12-step program, even as somebody who was not participating in it? Yes. Well, I think an interest is a is is one word for it. I think a need <laughs> would, would be another word for it. Um, yeah, I you know I I flirted with recovery for years mm. before before I finally was able to get serious about it. Um, and so I'd been to I'd been to AA meetings um, prior to Hill House mm. uh, and had always said, "Up, oh, I I don't I don't think I'm I I really need this. I don't think I belong here." Uh -huh. Um, and, and yeah, but I, I got sober kind of right around the time that Hill House was released. Oh, okay. So, so was there a reason that there was something that drew you to the program? Like just well, to use it as a storytelling device? I mean, I guess the steps sort of really help you like, okay, he's on this step. So he's motivated to do this thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, um, it's something I'd, I'd always been kind of tangentially aware of in my life because mm -hmm. there, there are people in my extended family, uh, some of whom have been, you know, recovered for decades now and, and who really uh, believe in AA and Stephen King's a big hero of mine who's mm -hmm. been sober now for more yeah. than 30 years and, and, and Roger Ebert was a major hero of mine uh, who writes beautifully about his experiences with AA. Yeah. Um, so I was always interested in it and, and I was very interested in, in the different ways people can approach recovery and kind of take control over, over their lives. Um, it's interesting because AA didn't, didn't really work for me. Yeah. It never did. And, and, um, I got way more interested in rational recovery and, and that kind of, you know, spilled over into midnight mass quite a bit, which I think you, you had mentioned. You, yes. you, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's something that's always been in my orbit. And um, I think I when I was younger, <laughs> I was, you know, I, I was I don't want to say like an AA tourist, but I, I would hit I would hit these these little bumps that weren't quite rock bottom for me. Uh -huh. And they it would be it would scare me enough to send me to a meeting, though, and sure. and. I would kind of take it in and I'd look around and there were things about it that bugged me. And, mm -hmm. um, but then it was also about in a lot of ways for me, it was like, whatever, 
works, whatever, you know, works for, for anyone in, in, in their given situation is yeah. something that I want to support. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was always kind of back and forth, but um, I didn't realize how fascinated I was with it in my work mm-hmm. until I got sober and kind of looked back and was like, oh, wow, I've been, <laughs> I've been walking up to the line of, of this for years. Yeah. I wasn't aware of it. it consciously. Was, was Dr. Sleep before or after Hill House? That was after Hill House. After Hill House. Okay. Because that certainly has the sobriety angle, but it's sort of built into the story. That's that's obviously not like a little thing you you added in. And yeah, it's it's interesting. My I have family members, like you said, who have been to AA and I've gone to, you know, the Al Anon meetings. And most of my, you know, the three people I can think of who are sober are all atheists. And we're like, okay, so the first step is like let go and let God, I guess, which is, no, thank you. That's not part of my interest. Like, do you think the fact that it's rooted in religion is inherently harmful? Or do you think, because they do a lot of playing of like, what's a higher power to you? It could right. be the universe or <laughs> right. whatever. Do you have any thoughts on why it's LinkedIn? You know, I, I think my read of it, and, and, and I'm not an expert. Mm-hmm in the program, my read of it was that Christianity was, was very much kind of interwoven into the fabric of the program. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right that there was a lot, because that was what I objected to. That was where I, that was the wall I always hit on the way in the door Yeah, was the higher power. And, and the, 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 the striking similarities I found between my experience at a meeting and my experience at a Catholic mass um mm-hmm. the ritual the repetition mm-hmm. the prayer the kind of the proselytization the the confession aspect oh my god i never connected the confession aspect yeah Ooh, it, it, that's good it, um, it, there, there were a lot of elements that kind of where i where i was looking for kind of guidance and 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 comfort managing you know my alcoholism uh-huh. i was i was kind of pulled back into some of the less comfortable elements of my childhood with sure. and just kind of like oh man here we are again huh um and and so that was you know you're kind of identifying the biggest issue I had and sure. and there was a lot of talk about well time can be your higher power or your mm. family can be your higher power and and it didn't it didn't get me over the line yeah it, it was just kind of like I, I don't know I just feel like for me, it 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 felt disingenuous for me to put. Yeah. Well, and if you say, "Oh, my family is my higher power," then what? Then yeah. everything they say is truth, or I don't like. What no, next? I was expecting them to do this. Yeah, for exactly. Me. You know, exactly. The, yeah. It, it it very much for me. I, I was like, what I'm looking for in this equation is personal accountability. Yes. I, I need to figure out a way to empower myself to take responsibility mm-hmm. for my own actions and not, and that was the thing I kept kind of kicking against was not give it, give it to someone else or put it on something else, yeah. but just, you know, I, I did this yes and, and I am responsible for the daily decision to mm-hmm. change. Um, and, you know, it's, it, yeah. So, so it, <laughs> it always felt like I was um, whenever I'd get to the the recitation and, and in the prayers and everything else, I, I always, I could tell that I was lying mm-hmm. and I was like, I'm never going to, 
I'm never going to be able to do this for real if I'm lying yeah. to yeah. someone else. I, you know, because well, if you can't uh, be honest with yourself from the get go, then like, what's the point of any of this? Yeah, it, it's it's like if if the whole point of this is to really rip away, mm-hmm. you know, uh, rip away these layers to get to kind of the truth of of myself and yeah. and really affect legitimate and hopefully kind of permanent change in my life. Mm-hmm. I can't build that on a lie, mm-hmm. um, no matter how well intentioned that lie might be. I have caught myself lying to my therapist and then been like, wait, stop, hold on. This is, what are we doing here? Yeah. Why am I making stuff up to tell you of all people? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you want them to, you want them to look at you a certain way. Oh my God. And, and, and it's like, well, what that, this is the definition of counterproductive now. A hundred percent. I just will please your way through therapy. So, yeah. I truly yeah. would. I, I told my therapist about this. I'm like, I just really want him to like me. And she's like, just that's, <laughs> why why though like why is it matter <laughs> uh, oh also my friend wants to know if kate wants to be our best friend that was the first thing she said like literally i was like oh my god i'm gonna interview mike flanagan she's like ask if kate will hang out with us i think she'd like us <laughs> uh, i bet she would I, I i seriously bet she would and she's out right now she might be back before we're done so if she is i'll have her come in i would love to say um, hi. she's so great i guess you know that because you oh. are married to her and work with her She's pretty she good is, at what she does. She's the greatest person in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Kate, too. You know, Kate's sober. Um, Kate's oh. uh, uh, got powerful ideas about the universe and, and uh-huh. about, you know, science and religion and everything. I think you guys would actually get along very well. So, yeah, you should definitely, you should get Kate on there. Yes. Yes, I should. Great. Excellent. Uh- <laughs> So um, let's talk about uh, Midnight Mass and the Catholicism of it all. So you grew up Catholic, is that what you you mentioned? I did. Okay. Yeah, I, I was I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy oh. for over a decade. Um, so yeah, serving Mass every Sunday, and and I did the whole the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was con- yeah confirmed, all 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 good to go um, until I. Uh, I, I got to college. I was just gonna say you went to college, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I I I find myself in in a in a public university uh-huh. uh, for college, and it took about a semester for me to kind of go, oh shit. Um, and and I took a uh, well, I one of the things that occurred to me was that um, I would get into conversations with friends. Um, because I was meeting people from different backgrounds for the first time mm-hmm. in my adult life. I, I went to Catholic grade school. I went to Catholic high school. Oh, okay. You were deep into it. Yeah, you weren't it, just it, like it, every Sunday. This is. Oh yeah. Every day, uh-huh. you know, every Ugh. day. I mean, we had, we had confession as part of our curriculum. No. In high school. Yeah. yeah. You would have were a you honest? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> No way. No. And, and that was some of the stuff that, that first kind of when I, when I started to kind of look around and realize how kind of fucked up everything was starting to feel was uh-huh. in high school, when it was like this line of teenage boys going into confession. And it was just like, we're not we're not really talking about it. <laughs> We're not talking. We're not talking about everything. Like you're all in agreement. Like we're all gonna yeah, be cool like about this. Yeah, it's like we're not. We're not gonna say everything. Yeah. Right? Um, and and so it was. Uh, <coughs> yeah, I, I um, I got to this point where I was. I got into an argument with uh with a kid that I'd met in, in school, um, 
and it was like a drunken like party argument philosophical <laughs> argument sure you know i was on the i was on the alcohol and and they were getting high and we uh. were talking about life <laughs> and um <laughs> and they kind of challenged me about the bible mm. and it occurred to me that my knowledge of the Bible was entirely based on what had been curated for me and read to me uh, throughout my Catholic education, but that I'd never read it. Well, that's the interesting thing about Catholicism is they're like, no, 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 don't read it. Yeah, don't, don't look. <laughs> it's so boring. You we'll won't tell like you, it. We'll tell you what's important. Yeah, we'll tell you. Believe me. Yeah. I, I always think that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's... And, and I did, I, well, I did the crazy thing, which is like, oh, all right, I'm going to read, then I'm going to read it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I sat and read it and I was like, what, what, <laughs> like, what, what is this? Did and, you get and, thrown off by the fact that there are two creation stories just right off the bat? Yeah. Just right off the bat. Yeah. It was like the end of Clue. It was like, <laughs> that's, that's how it could have happened. Or. But how about this? Yeah. How about this one? The and, kingdom and, of heaven is near. <laughs> well, and there was so much in particular in the Old Testament that I was completely ignorant of. Mm -hmm. and, and, and reading that was shocking. Mm -hmm. um, and there were there were issues I'd had growing up about some Old Testament stories that that had always kind of horrified me. <laughs> <laughs> and but but it was totally acceptable. And, and I remember that one of the first ones for me was Passover, you know, mm -hmm. when it was like, yes. And then and because we put the right blood on the doors god killed everyone else's babies and i was like what cool good job god <laughs> oh. um and it but things like that had always kind of echoed in my head but i hadn't really given them any real critical thought mm -hmm. and so I, I i read the book i put it down and was like this is this is an anthology collection of yeah iron age philosophy mm -hmm. From you know what I what I feel like is hundreds of individual writers, yes. none of whom are, are coordinating. Yes, I agree with and, those, those thoughts. It's it's a mess, and that radically destabilized me. Mm -hmm. um, destabilized so, you is an interesting word to use. Did you did you feel like you were relying a lot on your faith? Well, I felt like I my understanding of what the world was um, was kind of upended mm -hmm. and, and that my my parents who you know remain devout catholics and and <laughs> my teachers and all my friends you know mm -hmm. I, I wanted to go to everybody one at a time and be like have you have you read this <laughs> um, but have you actually <laughs> read this, this whole, like guys i think this is embarrassing for all of us <laughs> um <laughs> and when i when i did they, they, they find out what's yeah. in here they're gonna yeah. laugh us out of congress <laughs> like, we, we got to be real careful because people read this we're gonna we're gonna look really we need really... to get back to latin you guys like yeah it's, um vatican II was a mistake <laughs> yeah yes it's, this really needs just just lock it back up and, um more gowns for people that's what that's what, that'll distract them yeah it's it's but the music was so good um yeah the um the so then I took a world religion class and then all bets were off at that point. Sure. Um, and so then I said, uh, <laughs> if I'm because my parents freaked out, they were not happy. Um, and I said, well, if I'm going to look for God, then I need to look everywhere. And I want to I want to read as much as I can. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I want to I want to read the Tao Te Ching. I, I want to read the Quran. Mm -hmm. I, I 
want to read the Talmud. Like, was Rory I, I, just you? Was the character Rory just literally you? Yes. yes okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. I guess I should have connected those dots much faster. Um, <laughs> but I'm here now. I'm with you. I understand. <laughs> yeah, the Midnight Mass is. Why is, does um, it sound familiar? It's. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very poorly disguised um, avatar. Well, you fooled me. me, so you fooled somebody. <laughs> Um, but I, I did all that. I, I, it's, it really, like everything you see in the show is, is true, except thankfully for the, the you know, UI, but yeah. Um, Mike, oh my God, the opening, sorry, the opening shot of the Jesus fish and the lights. Holy shit. You are so good at what you do. It is just, I was just like grabbed immediately. It was incredible. Also, I love that anytime anybody's in Chicago, they always crash right by the Shedd Aquarium. So they have that <laughs> nice Chicago view when they crash. <laughs> well, they should really just put up a sign. They yeah, really should. Fun. It's very dangerous. <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. I um, <laughs> but and I'm, apologies for the coughs. I'm still uh, well, still a, a plague. So riding out the plague, but um. But yeah, I, I, so I did my, my big journey. I did five or six years of religious studies and I came out of it an atheist. And, wow. um, and it, it, I, I kind of burned through all that reading and, and, and explored as many, <laughs> as many religions as I could kind of consume. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere along the way, I picked up, um, it was Letter to a Christian Nation, it was Sam Harris first. Sure. Yeah. Um, then end of faith, and then Chris Hitchens and mm -hmm. Austin, and, and and just kind of that is all of a sudden when it started to really make sense. Yeah, that was a, a path many, many, many people took. Is like, oh, this doesn't make sense. Oh, I read it. Uh oh, and like, has everybody yeah. else read this? I know it was. Yeah, come on, guys, we gotta we gotta talk about it. It but, um, really is is baffling that it's like with a straight face. You're like every word, yeah, every single one all of the words are true and derived from God. Okay. It's a bad book then. <laughs> like he's yeah. a bad author. <laughs> well, and, and like, especially, you know, especially the, the old Testament God, cause he changes. So mm. radically. Sometimes but, he's vengeful. Sometimes yeah. he's loving. Well, he's a, you know, he's a straight up psycho sure. in, in, in book one. Sure. 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 Yeah. Like, like psycho. Bad guy. Bad and, guy. And then, and then in, in the new Testament, they're like, never mind. He's chill. He yeah, it's like, I, I don't buy that he changed. I, I just know Age yeah. mellows everybody out, including gods. It's just yeah. a fact of life. Um, I actually just quickly want to get back to the fact that you said, I still love religious music so much. I was a choir kid growing up, and near my God to me, I was like, hell yeah, I love this shit. Like, I love choir music so much. And the few times it popped up, I was like, yeah, Mike gets it. Oh, <laughs> I, I, it's gorgeous. Oh and, and my god. That's the that's the thing I, I've you know there there are elements I think in any religious ritual mm -hmm. that are beautiful. Sure. And 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 that's part of I think what lends it its majesty and and where it can it can hold people's hearts, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I have a a profound nostalgia for a lot of that. And mm -hmm. so the, when we were doing the music for Midnight Mass, um, I actually got to sing on, on the tracks. Cause I really? was like, yeah. Um, and so I went in and got to record, you know, I, I, I got to sing on Nearer My God to Thee at the end. <gasps> and, um, there's something, and there were other people 
on the crew and even among our composers who had been raised Catholic and were no longer religious, um, but we all knew all the words. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it, it was, you know, this little moment of connection of like, oh yeah, you too. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, I've been yeah. there. Um, Such a sucker for it. It's because yeah. it's like so emotionally manipulative and it's like, yeah, I'll take this journey with you music. <laughs> no, it's, it's gorgeous. And yeah. I still, you know, it, it was tough not to lean into it. <laughs> you know, I, I had wanted, I had this big thing for, for the show where I didn't want any music that wasn't um, Catholic hymns. Sure. And to let it be kind of neutral. Mm. Um, but they don't play that way. They, they don't play neutral at all. <laughs> and um, I had wanted for Aaron's big monologue at the end, mm -hmm. which is, it's about a four minute monologue about, you know, a, a very, I think, non-Catholic explanation for what what happens and what happens when, when you die yeah um I wanted that to be silent. I wanted just the sounds of mm. birds and the fire and the wind and the sunrise and just just the sounds of nature mm -hmm. um but the problem was my composers um put a instrumental version of were you there under it and it's it's another oh, that's what, what's in that yeah. Yeah, yeah and um and it had me just sobbing and and I, I emailed them afterwards and I was like, fuck you guys. Like I want <laughs> I really didn't want to underscore that moment <coughs> with this kind of traditional ode to Catholicism, but it mm. it was so beautiful. <laughs> so we ended up leaving it. Oh, um, funny. And that, that happened to me throughout the show where it was just kind of like, yeah, I the music is too emotionally resonant for me mm. to to get away from it. Yeah, I um God, that that whole scene. I actually had a miscarriage like immediately before that. Oh, I'm sorry. That episode came out, and my friend texted me. She's like, "Okay, just you have to be careful around episode whatever it was." And I was like, "Okay, okay like appreciated." But boy, oh boy, that that monologue she gives. Golly, oof! I that gets me every time. Um, sorry. Anyway, no, it's <laughs> it is what it is. Um. How did people respond to Midnight Mass who were of a Catholic stripe? They don't um, love being made fun of or well, questioned. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me because um, the reactions have run the gamut. Mm. Um, to my utter shock, my parents really loved the show. Really? Yeah, I, <laughs> I, was, I was bracing for, for it to be a family scandal. <laughs> um Christmas is gonna they, suck. No, it was like this is gonna be really awkward, but they really they really loved it. Um I've read um passionate defenses of the show written by Catholic priests um who say that a lot of the messaging in the show is is a necessary wake-up call for the church today. Mm. Um mm -hmm. <laughs> I I wasn't expecting that. Um Excuse me, my God, I'm sorry. It's um, but uh, very, very interestingly, um, the response from atheists was also very mixed. Really? Yeah, and and one of the <laughs> one of the the kind of harshest critiques that I read of the show is from an atheist who is saying, "This is um, this is espousing uh, a pro-religious message," and I was like, "I." I 
Are I'm on you your team. Sure? I, 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 yeah, I, I, I was like, I think you, you're misunderstanding it. Cl turn on subtitles next time you watch it. You missed something, sir. <laughs> no, it's, it's um, but it, what, what's interesting is that I didn't want, <laughs> I didn't want the show to be critical of the concept of faith, and so. And I would argue it's not at all. Yeah, I, I, I felt at the end that it was about you know. <coughs> Um, our propensity for for faith in each other mm -hmm. um, and faith in, you know, in light, in a world of darkness kind of thing. What, and, and not to sound like AA, but whatever that means. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and and so I, I didn't want to make a show that was lambasting the concept of faith. Mm -hmm. I was surprised by how easily people could take the show and make it fit with whatever their current belief system was so that i i saw there were some very <coughs> very religious people who said yep and the show agrees with me mm -hmm. it ends on a, on a message of of religious faith yeah um and it was it was wonderfully interesting to say you know that wasn't my intention mm -hmm. but that's what the viewer kind of that particular viewer got out of it um and so, yeah, the, the reactions really ran the full spectrum and I found them all to be very interesting. Um, people have their own personal experience with the show. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd always thought that they'd have one similar to the one I had working on it and writing it, mm -hmm. um, but that isn't true. Yeah. And I think that's kind of awesome too. So, yeah. Well, there's an element as an artist of you can make your thing and you can put it out into the world and then it's the world's like the world gets to consume it however it however it wants to um which i think has to be the hardest part about being an artist of like you want to go back like no no no, no you got it wrong you got it wrong but like yeah. you know it's all valid <laughs> you know analyzing a piece of art is all valid i saw it as not anti-faith at all especially when you looked at like the way uh the sheriff and his son ended like I don't know how you could look at that and be like yeah boo face like that's terrible I did love Bev trying to dig into the sand that... <laughs> golly what a character Bev was what an all-timer yeah Bev when when I started kind of dreaming of Bev uh -huh. um, when I started working on the script for this which is like more than a decade ago Oh. I, I worried at a time that Bev would ring untrue. And now I'm like, oh my God. No, I mean we've got we've got Bev's in Congress. Yeah. We've got Bev's on TV every day. Like Bev is actually relatively restrained compared to some of the actual personalities that are out there. Um <laughs> I I love her character. I do too. From a, a writing perspective. She was so much fun to write. She really, you know, most of my opinions about organized religion are contained in in her. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, people, I, I remember having to talk to Netflix and they'd say, you know, well, we have to build up to the real monster of the story, meaning the, the yeah. winged vampire. And I was like, no, the real monster <laughs> of the story is Bev. Um, you know, the... that can't be reassuring that Netflix can't even identify the villain of a story. Oh, they well, they in in their you know in in what what defense I will give them on that. We kind of you know they were expecting a show about vampires, and sure. so 
they <laughs> as it clearly was that. about yeah it's not that and and so there was a lot of yeah we'll get to the we'll get to the vampires um and i think there's a little bit toward the end of them being like seems like we're talking an awful lot about religion and recovery and it's like, yeah yeah well yeah, don't worry. weird wait till it's edited wait till it's edited yeah you'll see it's you'll got see. wings um <laughs> and uh and i used to tell them that you know the vampire is 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 just fanaticism you know yeah. it's it's it doesn't have a personality it's just basic it it, it it's, it's only life yeah. goal is to perpetuate itself yeah it, it it propagates itself it eats and it exists and it takes advantage of of whatever situation i was like the the things that make it monstrous are the people and how they use it right and and that's what bev i think and sam sloyan who who plays bev who's a dear dear friend of mine um and is actually the nicest like sweetest kindest person in the world who is forever kind of um tainted by this character truly uh, she also had one of my favorite monologues it's sorry zoom is telling me it's about to cut off my thing because i oh no. didn't pay for it hold on zoom i'll get you your money you bastard you have to pay like by the minute for zoom well it gave me i think a half hour for free <laughs> and now it's like pay the piper Oh, geez, I'm sorry. It's not your fault. I can pay the $12, not to brag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> personal use. I'm so sorry. How professional is this? No, that's okay. I'm I'm coughing all over your podcast. I feel terrible about that. Oh. Step, accept, just give me. Okay. Cool. Okay. Um, actually, while I'm doing this, did you know, uh, the music box in Chicago, they're having a double feature of, um, The Shining and Dr. Sleep. I did know that. Um, they actually asked me if I could go. And you should. We're going. I really, I really wanted to, uh, but between, between the COVID and, um, sure, I've got to, sure. uh, I've got to, I've just lost two weeks of work on House of Usher, so I have to go oh, back shit. and that. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm excited about House of Usher. I was really banking on somebody doing a um, okay, complete your purchase, a um, uh, mask. Shit, what's it called? Damn it, Jessica, think of the word. Um, something about Mask of Red Death. Got it. Oh, uh, I have good news for you. So, really, yeah. are you doing like a Poe thing? Yeah. So it's our our House of Usher is you know. House of Usher, the story eats up about a half hour. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like a long one. It's not a long story. So <laughs> in between that, you know, the, the series is basically, it's a ton of Poe. There's so many different, and it's all kind of woven together. Yeah. Into one story, but it's it's all in there. And, oh, and good. Our Mask of the Red Death is crazy. Um, Excellent. I just yeah. feel like it's so not on the nose but like oh, for yeah. what's going on right now it's pretty it's entirely on the nose <laughs> <laughs> i didn't want it to be an insult but i heard myself yeah say oh it. it's it's so appropriate <laughs> yeah for what is happening right now it truly is okay got it all right now i own this zoom well done <laughs> all right that timer is off okay um what i was gonna say is uh what'd you say the actress who plays bev is sam 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 yes. sloan yeah. The actually genuinely one of my favorite. I really love 
and I'm sorry, I'm getting off atheism. I just want to talk to you about your work. Um, I love dream logic. I, my husband and I are big David Lynch fans. Um, oh yeah. And so DreamLock is just one of my favorite things in the world. And when, and I think personally, like David Lynch just is so good at capturing that dream logic. And my favorite example though, is in her monologue at the end of House on Haunted Hill, when all of a sudden he, she was like, he's like, I don't remember how I got here. I don't remember leaving it. And that is so, oh my God. It was just the reveal of it. Of like, I don't remember how I got here. I don't remember you getting pregnant. I don't remember. I was like, this is the best. I, it blew me away. It's truly such a remarkable moment of like, oh, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. This is what's happening. Ugh, I loved it. Boy, I love that show. Sam just crushed that monologue too. So good. Well, she had to, you know, and I was like, digitally, we're gonna just make I you awful. Yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> she goes through this horrible yeah. transformation. Um. So poor Sam. I've, I've really, I've. So, you know, I, I. The first time I worked with Sam, we stabbed her like twenty times against a door in Hush. Oh, in Hush. Yes. Um. And she was a good sport about that. And then she came to do Haunting Hill House and, and we had her explode like a like a tick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Midnight Mass. Uh, and then, you know, she she goes through quite a lot in, in the Father House of Usher, too. But um, okay. <laughs> yeah, she's she's so great. And um, she really. She embodies for me so much of kind of the most toxic mm. religious, you know, um, attitude, I think. And and the contempt with yes. which she kind of holds everyone else. And and um, Sam, I remember when we were going through it and kind of prepping the character, she'd be like, you have to tell me if I've gone too far, or it starts to feel maniacal. And I was uh-huh. like, I I swear to God, I think there are states in this, in this country you'd be easily elected. Mm-hmm. Just the way you're playing her. I, I really think that's the way it is. But, I yeah. would love a prequel about her because the other aspect that's only kind of hinted at and sort of like brushed off is the sort of like, she's the reason that we're broke. She grabbed this money and built this rec center when all of a sudden everybody notices. Like, I love to hear about a petty tyrant, somebody who just like grabs onto the tiniest bit of control and goes ape shit with it. And those are my favorite villains of just the crate. Cause I think whether or not, whether it was religion or whatever, she would have found something to be in control of. She yeah. would be a leader somehow. And she, it's, a, you know, she kept deferring to, Oh, the old, the old preacher says this, it's fine. You can trust me. It's diabolical and just such an interesting situation to watch. Like I'm, somebody calls her an asshole at the end or something like that. And it's so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I know there, there was a lot of wish fulfillment at the end. Yeah. And at the, um, I remember in the writer's room when we would talk about the last few seconds of the show and, mm-hmm. and kind of how everyone would meet their, their death, you know, mm-hmm. how, how everybody in that last moment would, would respond and how, you know, we we had all these ideas of of community and and of reflection and um, and unanimously we were all like everybody can have these different kind of 
healthy expressions of, of it, except for Bev. Mm -hmm. Needs to be trying to bury herself in the sand like a crab. Yeah. Like, that is the only that is the only appropriate ending for her. Um and uh, and I remember filming that we'd built this giant sandbox on a stage because we had to, you know, do the the sunrise uh, the sunrise digitally oh. against the screen. And so Samantha's kneeling there in this giant sandbox wind in her face staring at a blue screen and just the the full commitment to that profound cowardice yeah um, yes i just because i i just in my in in my heart of hearts i believe that some of the loudest people who claim to have you know the sword of god in their mm -hmm. hand in that moment they're digging in the sand like i i i just believe it i mean it's a ted cruz going to cancun during like yeah. it's the same thing no, it's, it's holly running through you know running yeah. through congress yeah on january 6th it looks like the catch me if you can poster like <laughs> just it's sprinting. yeah just he's a blur um yeah, that you know, I, I I find that the there's a there is this correlation between how aggressively loud people mm -hmm. can be, especially hateful people, mm -hmm. um, and the degree to which they're deeply scared. Yeah, you know, and and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and do you see it as a fear of just change, loss of power? Yeah, I I kind of feel like so so to 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 need to have power over other people, mm -hmm. right? To, mm -hmm. to have this kind of unquenchable need to assert yourself over someone else. Mm -hmm. I think that only comes from a place of, of profound fear. You, you have to feel so out of control yeah. that the only way you can feel control is to see it imposed on someone else by yourself. Mm -hmm. you know, um, that... <clears throat> I, I think that that's at the root of so much of it. And and <clears throat> that's, I think, what makes it so sad. Um, yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I feel like whether it's fear of other people's happiness or other people's autonomy, mm -hmm. you know, I, I look at, you know, this to me, just insane. I, it's, it's insane to me that there is a debate in our country about about healthcare, about Ugh. abortion, about you know, about women's bodies, this that there's this raging debate. Mm -hmm. And the debate is not possible without without religion. You know, it's a it, the this idea of like what what fear animates that? Is it is it fear of choice? Is it fear of freedom? Is it fear of women? And I think the answer is yes, yes. Yes, yes. it is. <laughs> yes, it, it is. is. All of it. Yeah. The, this fear that men have of not being able to control mm -hmm. control women um and all that comes from a, a profound fear i i i don't understand it I, I i think that some of the most faithful people at least outwardly mm -hmm. claim to not be afraid because they have this incredible well of faith you know mm -hmm. seem to have the most fear. Yeah, I mean, did you hear about the yeah. Supreme Court case uh, in Florida about the coach who wanted to pray on, on the football field after his games? Yeah. And I actually, there's a really great episode of um, what Roman Mars can learn about con law, which is literally just like, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's about constitutional law. And they went over the week 
that week at the Supreme Court with the Roe Ro thing and did such a great job of explaining like how they got to the conclusion they did because they kept saying like he was just trying to do a quiet prayer guys everyone should be able to do a quiet prayer yeah and I think it was Sotomayor wrote the dissent and was like she added a picture into the dissent which has never happened she's like this is not that this is not what you are pretending yeah. it is he was drawing attention to, to himself this is not quiet sorry I didn't mean to start yet like, no he no, no. And, <laughs> and just this willful naivete of the supreme court to like pretend they're calling in balls and strikes but obviously are just doing whatever the fuck they want to do yeah no it's 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 shocking it's, it, uh, it would be shocking if it if you hadn't watched it happening <laughs> right painful slow motion over the last 20 years but um but yeah it's and it, it it reminds me very much you know one of the scenes that that we had to fight for very hard on on midnight mass was the um uh was the school scene where everybody all the adults sit in the classroom to talk about you had to fight for that yeah it's it's like a seven minute scene oh just in terms and, of yeah, just just in terms of of the the degree to which sure. we were no longer talking about vampires, <laughs> <laughs> and and really getting into you know the vampires are a metaphor, guys. Come yeah, on. It's, it's, well, we didn't really want the metaphor so much as the vampires. We thought the vampire show along the way. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but that's something that that drives me crazy. Is are, are the 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 double, triple and quintuple standards that come with that, where, you know, I cannot imagine the same people who are trumpeting this case and saying, yes, of course, you know, this Christian prayer mm -hmm. needs to be publicly protected. Right. Um, if it had been any other religion, you know, all of that, uh, the, the straw argument completely collapses. Absolutely. Yeah. Or when they were, uh, when Amy Coney Barrett was going through her hearings and everyone's like, um, everybody hates her because she's Catholic. And it's like, no, are you sure? yeah. Yeah. have you checked out the Supreme Court lately? Because I don't think that's what's going on. I think yeah, the that's... fact that she's like 16 years old is troubling, but what do I know? Well, and that she's, that she's radical, you know, that, so radical. That, because, you know, it's like and a liar, <laughs> like, a, yeah, a it's like John liar. Kennedy was Catholic, you know, like that, that wasn't the the thing, you know. The Catholicism in and of itself isn't going to be the thing to protest. No, it's what it's what they do. It's what mm -hmm. they what they're actually about. Because, mm -hmm. and the other thing that strikes me is how, you know, how so many of those actions have absolutely nothing to do with Christianity or Catholicism. Absolutely. Well, it's whatever they want is part of their faith. That's kind of what right. I have gotten together of like. I want to do whatever I want to do and you can't tell me what to do because I'm claiming it's my faith. So I don't want to mask and I don't want to like, you know, acknowledge that gay people exist. And um, I get to do all of those things because I'm Christian and you cannot criticize my religion. Otherwise right. you're a bad person. Right. And, it's just and, like and, and not just that, not just that I want to do this, but this is also, I want to make sure that you live your life this way. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. regardless or, whether you agree with me yeah yeah that right. that's where it it because i i've had this you know i i have these pockets and i'm sure you go through similar waves of you know i i love the the name of your podcast because the friendly atheist 
you know, this is an important word. Yeah. And um, so frequently, atheists are kind of painted as, you know, arrogant or hot-headed or angry. Well, I'm all of those things, but also. <laughs> yes. And it's like, but yes, and but we have these, we go through these, you know, these waves, mm. reactions, because there's this sense, and I, I find this with a lot of friends who are secular, who are atheists, there's this sense that there's an expectation in there that reasonable arguments will win, mm-hmm. um, that uh, evidence matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and time and again, that isn't the case. And, and so, yes, that makes people frustrated. Yeah, It's easy to get angry. It's easy to see, too, how far, you know, how far things are being pushed mm-hmm. in the other direction and, and start to realize that, you know, <laughs> a friendly academic curiosity mm-hmm. isn't going to stop right. this. That, that, you know, you have to get angry sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think that is, a, actually, I love that because we, especially women, are constantly told that, like, if you get angry, you're in the wrong or you're a bad person or you're not being rational or whatever. And, like, I can be rational and also angry. I do it every day. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. I'm not limited to one um, one thing at a time. Daddy, please. Sorry, my dog decided this is the moment she has to tear her bed up. So <laughs> so this is cool for us. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, it just, it's just very, very frustrating that people seem to understand what the freedom of religion means for themselves. Yeah but do not know how to apply that to other people. Right. And, and that, that's something that, you know, the, the fundamental misconceptions about that, you know, just, just the, the concept that it's, this is a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. No, no, that no, no. Um, the founding fathers, you know, all wanted this. No, they did. Yeah. Um, provable. We have, that's the thing is yeah. we have their writing, but you have yeah. people like, I don't know if you've heard of this man, uh, David Barton is his name. He no. is like basically an alternate historian. He is like his books are about actually the founding fathers loved Jesus. Let me show you all of the examples I have. There are very few. Ex- it's like, um, did you know that Alexander Hamilton went to church? So I think we know what he wants for AR-15s, right, guys? Like, right. yeah, it is this wild. Also, the appeal to authority that they love to do because you can't like the founding fathers can't answer for what they said right and, but but then when you point out that they wrote you know that they wrote everything down very explicitly and specifically wanted to have amendments yeah like then it and and left room to say we don't know how this is going to go mm-hmm. and we need to understand that people are fallible and we need yeah. to leave room for improvement as well, I, situations change yeah it it's it's crazy i think there's Um, also like a recency bias that comes to play a lot that for a long like for example we were adding states left and right up until the 20th century and now people are like statehood for puerto rico statehood for washington dc and everyone's like we don't add states to this country like we absolutely historically do look at alaska we don't like what of course we just grab shit if we can find it like of course. Yeah, of we course. just haven't done it lately. Lately, and that yeah. doesn't it doesn't go bad. You can still <laughs> like the constitution yeah, all- is rotting. <laughs> no, it's um it's it's I remember, you know, 
God, there was a documentary years ago <coughs> called uh, called Jesus Camp. Yes. Um, shit. Terrifying, right? Terrifying. But, but, and I think that must have been what fifteen years ago or something like that. Something and like that. I remember watching it and them talking about the political mobilization, um, God's army. Mm-hmm. We stole completely for midnight mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember at the time feeling like the the ideas that they're talking about are way out there. They're deep in the future. There's a long way to go, and there's a series of checks and balances between where we are mm-hmm. there. And no, it's you know now now we're there. Mm-hmm. And and then even down to row, you know, to how many friends when it was about. I think back to the luxury of being able to argue about, you know, uh, Bernie and Hillary. Mm, um, and and yeah, right. You know, when, when like that was the problem. And but the 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 luxurious arguments that people would have where it'd be like, well, what about, you know, the Supreme Court and what about Roe? And it's like, no, 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 no. That's never going to happen. There are supports and protections in place. And no, there aren't. It, I... it, it all, you know, it, it's amazing. Yeah. I had a blow up fight with a family member who will remain nameless, who is one of the richest people I know, and yelled, this is probably 2017, yelled at me about, you're wasting your time worrying about Roe, they're not gonna, it's settled law, you're making yourself crazy, you can't do anything about it, you're being like hysterical about this, calm down. And truly, the day it it was overturned, I almost called her. I almost called her and be like, "You could, you, fuck yeah. you, genuinely, yeah. absolutely, fuck you." I'm holding you personally responsible for this right now because I need to be mad at somebody, and it's you. Congratulations. I. Yeah. It was hard to kind of see it coming but kind of what you said with the jesus camp thing i want to get back to that because that i think is why the left is going to be floundering for a long time because say what you will about the conservatives they are an organized machine organized. and patient and pa- yes oh what a yes yeah patient <coughs> yes 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 his patience and faith are almost the same thing and um the the left you know and 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 this is true i think of of a lot of secularists it's harder to be patient because faith isn't a luxury that we can lean on Mm -hmm. you know it's it's about immediacy and it's about it's about what's right in front of us right now and reacting to the facts on the ground Mm -hmm. the the problem i think that's happening is that we've gotten into a society where facts don't matter anymore. And, and more than any other time, maybe since the dark ages, what matters is what we believe. Mm-hmm. And that we, th- these little tribes, these little bubbles on Facebook that pop up where people sure. like beliefs just mm-hmm. come together and can look a fact in the face and say, no, Mm-mm. doesn't matter. Mm-mm. um i it have a feel community. right to me yeah it, it's about what i feel mm-hmm. in my heart i know this i know vaccines are bad mm-hmm. i know the earth is flat mm-hmm. you know, i know donald trump won the election mm-hmm. you know all these things um and the facts no longer are relevant so we are in a struggle of conviction of belief 
And it's impossible for, I think, for atheists, for secularists, for people who are are, are relying on fact mm-hmm. and reason, we're not going to win a battle of belief. We don't have the practice. No. We don't have the faith. No. Yeah. And we don't have a single thing that we're fighting for. Right. Yeah. And 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 the beauty of a catch-all that mm-hmm. you know that a that a religious faith can can provide because you can change the goals mm-hmm. left and right within the mm-hmm. umbrella of the faith and you can walk people further and further and further toward you know all sorts of different causes um which is something else that was really fun to play with in the show is mm-hmm. you know how how you look at Jonestown you look at at belief systems that become toxic i was actually watching sorry to interrupt i was watching a uh documentary about um the heaven's gate yeah i saw that Uh, and i I truly was like "Ooh, this feels like midnight massy a little bit of like you just keep getting like inching and inching and inching all of a sudden you're drinking arsenic in your church yeah and it's it's incremental Mm -hmm. it's it's not that you start people don't dive in face first Mm -hmm into heaven's gate or jonestown in the 11th hour right you know they they have to be led Mm -hmm. to that point and and that's why i find documentaries like that fascinating especially when they're interviewing survivors Mm -hmm. who look back and are like yeah i can't explain to you how rational this felt and 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 again you come back to what does it feel like Mm -hmm. what you know and and the thing is the feelings can be completely kind of fabricated around people by the community oh you can artificially give somebody a feel like that's what mega churches are yeah is you're just all like whipping yourselves up into this like religious <laughs> fervor it's just everybody's being manipulated and you feel so good afterwards you're like cool yeah. god rules and and if you feel good then it must be good mm-hmm. right so yeah. it's yeah it's it's it, it makes me very nervous for my kids because <laughs> it puts me in a place where I have to kind of admit to them that, you know, the data doesn't matter as mm-hmm. much as it, as it should. The facts don't matter because you're always going to be up against someone who or a system or even an individual who may have a much deeper well of belief mm-hmm. um, than you do mm-hmm. if your belief is hinged on observable fact. Um Well, the fact that you and I presume we're willing to change our mind given the appropriate, yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely willing to change my mind. And for me, that's a, one of my favorite things about myself is I'm very good at admitting when I'm wrong and I'm wrong so much. Um, And the idea of never being able to admit, which is like a toxic masculinity thing as well, of just like, if I said it, I'm going to die on that hill like it does i will not ever backtrack i will not say i said something wrong it's i will either just deny it that it ever happened or i will die on that hill because i guess that's my brand now (laughs) yeah or you are now my enemy yes because you pointed out that i was wrong Mm, we are now we are now the bad guy for doing that for me um that it's it you're completely right and and it's um it's hard to imagine how it's hard to imagine what a successful political or social movement looks like mm-hmm. that can combat that. And I think that's that's what's so kind of frightening about yeah. today. Um, well, I, 
I think kind of the flip side when you talked about um, how uh, atheists are go. Oh shit! I think I just had brain fog and completely lost what I was going to say. God damn it! <laughs> COVID. It's one it's... of these days. <laughs> one yep. of these days. I can just feel it leaving my brain, and it's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I'll see you next time, I guess. Uh, um, so, boop, boop, boop. What else? I'm just looking at my notes. No, sure. <laughs> Um, boy, okay. I don't want to keep. Did we have a hard out? I don't want to, uh, to keep got, you any longer than, <laughs> than needed. See, I have, I've got another couple of minutes, but I should get going pretty soon. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, great. Um, so you have something new coming out soon? I do. I have, I have a show. You got to do some <laughs> promo got... stuff with me? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, <why not? laughs> <laughs> this is like the first promo stuff I've done for this show ever. Ooh, okay, let's let's get your like yeah. your spiel in order. My spiel, I yeah. know. So this is my rough, unpracticed okay. spiel. It's all right. Um, Only twelve people listen to this. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, all of you. Yeah, um, we know them all by name. <laughs> um, so I have a show called The Midnight Club. It comes out in October. Um, it's unrelated to Midnight Mass. It's uh, based on a book by Christopher Pike um, from the mid nineties, which were these little scholastic, oh you know, book put the paperbacks yeah. um, and they all had like neon covers and they were, they were like RL Stein, except a little older uh -huh. and more risque for, for the teen audiences. But it's, it's my first YA show. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, it's for the kids. I I just showed it to my eleven year old, uh, who it's the first thing of mine he's ever seen. Really? Well, I guess you I, don't have a ton that's family It's really my kids cannot watch what I make uh until no. they're until they're much older. But uh but I let him watch this one and he he uh he really liked it and I'm hoping that that means it'll be a hit with the with the teens. But I think for people coming off of Midnight Mass. Mm -hmm. This is going to be like whiplash. A it's, total it's, shift. <laughs> oh my god! It's it's just popcorn and uh -huh. teenagers, and it's spooky. And I think the longest conversation uh, in the show is about a minute long. It's what? Um, no monologues. It's no yeah. monologues. I know. How it's, am I going to know if it's a Mike Flanagan joint? <laughs> it's. I know. It's well. You. The only way you'll know it's it's a Mike Flanagan joint is you're gonna recognize like half the cast. Your cast? <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be like, oh yeah, okay, there's yeah, all yeah. of them. Oh yeah, there's um, there's the kid from ET again. Um, you'll be like, oh yeah, so this is all about teenagers. I don't know any of these people, but every grown up is from one of the other shows. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a fun little show, and and it'll be Netflix. I think October seventh, it's out. So it's spooky, but not terrifying. It's not terrible. Yeah, okay. it's, it's definitely for the younger viewers. Yeah. Um, okay, one. this is like the biggest question before I let you go, but it just I just thought of it because I'm going to see this this double feature this weekend. Can you talk a little bit about the Stephen King's hatred of the movie The Shining and how much he sure. loves Dr. Sleep and how great that must feel for you? Oh, it's wild. To oh, this, this day, that's wild. Um. So yeah, you know, King, I mean, famously, famously hates The Shining. Hates it. Hates it. And I read The Shining, sorry, immediately interrupt you. I finally read the book a couple of years ago. I'm like, oh, I get, this is not yeah. the same story. I not understand. Not the same it's, at all. Yeah. yeah. Like Haunting um, of Hell House and the book. Ah, some of the names are similar. Yes. <laughs> I was so confused. 
confused when they said they were siblings. I was like, I don't think I read the right book what? before this. Oh yeah, no, we we I did a I did a rather terrible adaptation of Bobby Hill. <laughs> really really terrible adaptation it was a haunted um, house on a hill so yeah it had some of the names it, it, um, but my my and argument whose hand now, am i holding which is the best line of the book awesome awesome scene of the book it, mm-hmm. it, but i felt like the book had been done perfectly in 63 oh, in the robert wise movie so good. and i was like i'm not going to improve on that so and i can't make it 10 hours long <laughs> yeah that's so, not <laughs> Yeah, so we we just we broke it into pieces and tried to build them into something new, mm-hmm. um, which is something I love to do. But it it is you know it can upset fans of of mm-hmm. material. Um, and I I imagine, <laughs> you know, it's funny because Stephen King speculated when he saw Hill House, he was like, I think Shirley Jackson would approve. Oh, but you know, we'll never know. And it's something haunting of people, not actual ghosts, that kind of thing. Right, and yeah. and. and that you know i can imagine how an author feels watching their creation broken apart Mm -hmm. and i think that's how he felt with the shining i think he felt it was like it it took the names and some of the situations and it jettisoned the whole point Mm -hmm. um and for him you know so he wrote that uh (coughs) in the throes of of his own alcoholism Mm -hmm. with a young son and a marriage that was under incredible strain from from his drinking and the anxiety he had about what he could do to his family if he didn't get it under control mm. you know? and so jack torrance in in the novel um he saves his family because the alternative for stephen king at the time i imagine was too horrifying to entertain mm-hmm. uh in in the movie you know <laughs> not at all he goes crazy immediately and then yeah and then freezes to death um but in in the book he he goes to the boiler and refuses to reset the boiler he blows up the hotel he saves his family um and so (laughs) when dr sleep came around you know i'm 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 this kind of child of of disparate parents because i'm a king fanatic Mm -hmm. but i love the shining i love cooper's movie so good so great and and yes i i you know they're not the same thing and they're yes. not really related mm-hmm. but i love them both and so um when i read dr sleep the novel is just out the gate just flipping off kubrick it's just, oh my god yeah. it's so actively angry <laughs> yeah like page one is like all that shit in the movie didn't happen like, yeah um, come on everybody boot with me we yeah, all hate this on. movie right <laughs> and so i'm reading the book and i'm like <laughs> I love the book, but I'm like, oof. Um, the crazy thing is, as a fan of the movie who grew up with the movie, mm. all the visuals that I had in my imagination reading the book were from the movie. Of course, yes. And so I had this like horribly schizophrenic experience where it was like I'm reading this new story that's Stephen King, but everything I picture is Kubrick, mm-hmm. and they're fighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they they don't work. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I got the job. <laughs> my whole pitch was to do as faithful as possible an adaptation of Dr. Sleep, but in the cinematic universe of Kubrick and specifically to take the ending and stage it in the hotel. Um, and I wouldn't do the movie unless King said yes. Oh. And um, <laughs> he said, no, <laughs> he, he said, I, I, I don't want to do the overlook. 
did you and, have any kind of relationship with him at this point? I don't know exactly. Like, had you worked with him before? Yeah, I, I'd done Gerald's game already. Gerald's game. Okay, cool. Yep. So, so he, you know, he really liked so that. He at, knows who you are and like knows what your jam is. And he said, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I, I don't want to do the overlook. And I was like, okay. But before before you say no, because if you say a firm no, I'm going to walk away from the movie and, and yeah. respect your wishes. Um, but before you say no, just imagine if the hotel was still standing and left abandoned for all these years. And Dan is eight years sober. And he comes walking through the gold room. And there's a, a glass of whiskey waiting for him. And there's the bartender in, in, in the red velvet tux and the bartender's his dad and he kind of molded and then said okay do it um, and so we made the movie uh he he had loved the script so i already kind of felt like we were you know we were, we had a leg up on it mm -hmm. but i i went to maine with the movie and i sat with him in a theater and watched it with him mm -hmm. um sitting right next to him just staring at him i can't imagine it was bizarre and one of the coolest and weirdest days of my whole life um but i i don't remember the movie i i watched every micro reaction that he had uh -huh. to it because i'm sure like, it was really chill for him oh i'm <laughs> sure he, i'm just very like um he, uh, did you see that good part i did mr king what do you think of that was that too much? <laughs> um, was that spooky <laughs> is that okay and and the thing we had kind of done was we took the ending from the shining that he wanted that mm -hmm. Kubrick got rid of mm -hmm. and we gave it to Dan at the end of Dr. Sleep. So he got, he got his ending. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of the movie, and I'm like, if he hates this, my career is over. Um, and the end of the movie, like 45 minutes in the overlook. So it was like, oh, shit. And I killed the character that he let live. And, yeah. Like, you sure in the did. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, we'll kill him. Uh, so I, I was on pins and needles and at the end of the movie, he, he leaned over and he said, I think you did a great job. And I kind of shat myself and, <laughs> and showed myself out of the theater. Uh -huh. And um, oh boy, and it was awesome. And he, over the years since then, and I've seen other interviews where he's said this, um, he My said, husband that, just sent me an article. That's like Stephen King's still really fucking into doctor sleep. <laughs> yeah. And he, but he he a few times has said that Dr. Sleep changed the way he felt about the Shining movie and that it warmed it up for him a little. Um, and I don't think he'll ever like it. Right. But a lot of the anger that I used to hear in the interviews about the Shining is softened now. I wonder and, if he can appreciate it as its own separate piece. Like, can he separate himself from it? Like, this, I'm going to watch this not thinking this is my book that is being adapted. He he can do that in a lot of stories. Mm -hmm. um, and he's very interesting when he talks about adaptations. Because he's had so many and they run the gamut. You so, know? oh my god. Um, they, some of them are the worst movies ever made. Absolutely. What's the Summer. one of the trucks? Oh, uh, Maximum Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive. He Holy directed that movie. Yeah, on cocaine. Yeah. He and yeah. cocaine directed that cocaine movie. directed that movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very true. Uh, but he'll say that when it comes to adaptations, it took him a while to realize that he didn't need to really live and die by how they came out because he wins no matter what. Mm. He said if, if, if the movie sucks, 
people say, well, the book was better. And if the movie's great, they say, well, yeah, it's great. It's based on a great book, you know, that he always kind of wins. That's a good um, point. But there's something about The Shining where he did he's never had that attitude. And you talked about other movies that he doesn't like, uh, adaptations of his stuff. And he's like, ah, it didn't work. But would, with The Shining, he's mad. And Would and, you argue that The Shining is like the most successful adaptation of his work and the one he hates the most? Well, when it so when it came out, it bombed. It it did it. It was box office failure. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, it's, it's because of that terrible poster with the yellow and the, the yellow weird, poster. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> I have no it's idea. The worst. Um, it and and it was funny when Doctor Sleep bombed. He called me. Um, oh, the, I, think I realized the, it bombed. <laughs> oh, it completely tanked. Completely I tanked. I loved it. Oh, that's thank weird. you. I look. I, people love the movie. Like the, it's one of the movies I think that the people who have seen it really like it. Mm, I loved it. I think that Dang. the yeah. addition of the, like honestly, my favorite moment in the movie is your addition when, um, what's her face is dying and she says, "Kill yourself" to the guy, and he. She, oh, yeah. <laughs> such a good addition and so powerful. I loved it. Anyway, continue. Whatever we were. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I'm thrilled with that. I thought people were gonna be mad that we killed Billy, but um, I but mean, yeah, it was good stuff. But uh, the he he called me after, and and I was very depressed mm. because our box office was so bad. Mm. And he said, "Well, here's the thing, you know, The Shining bombed, completely tanked. Critics mm -hmm. hated it. Nobody went to see it. Came a classic." Mm -hmm. uh, it, he said, "I remember when The Shawshank Redemption came out, mm. bombed, completely mm -hmm. tanked." Um, I forgot that was a Stephen King adaptation. Oh yeah, and and that of one I think is, to me that's the best. yeah, like that. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah. um, that one to me I, I think Shawshank might be the best King adaptation, but but yeah. it completely tanked. And and so he said, look, you know the, I'm sure you know we all feel a little bruised this morning, but people will find it and and give it time because mm -hmm. no one remembers the box office performance in 20 years of a movie that people really like. So give it a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and he was right when it, when it hit streaming, mm -hmm. it started to do really well. And like it, now today, when I talk to people about it, they're like, Dr. Sleep. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. like it, it found, it finally found its, its little audience. <laughs> mm. But, um, but yeah, so he, uh, that's a very long answer to your question. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, um, it was, a. Uh, <clears throat> It was very weird. I'll tell you the, the coolest thing of the last, yeah, last little rambling anecdote about those two movies, because it takes us all the way back to where we started our conversation. What a good uh, storyteller you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about, it's all about storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, King wrote The Shining when he was in the grips of his alcoholism. He wrote Dr. Sleep when he'd been sober for decades. Mm -hmm. um, and when his son had now kind of grown up to be the age the king was when he was at his worst. Um, and I always thought the two stories were two sides of a coin, that one was addiction, one was recovery. Mm -hmm. You know, one was about rage and one was about forgiveness. And um, there's a sequence in Dr. Sleep in the book, and we did it in the movie too, um, that takes place at an AA meeting. Mm -hmm. And Dan Torrance in the book, you know, really finds a community at AA. <laughs> and that, of course, comes from uh, from King's experience mm -hmm. in the program. Um, 
And we had this moment for it was uh, Dan's uh, eighth birthday where he gets his he gets his chip mm-hmm. and comes up and, and testifies. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> we were able to just shoot it as one long push into close up yeah. on Ewan. And um, Ewan McGregor, as he stands there and delivers that, was eight years sober. Um, Whoa, really? Yep. Uh, he was exactly where Dan Torrance, the character, was. Holy and, cow. Um, Rebecca Ferguson, who plays Rose the Hat, mm-hmm. uh, I think was four years sober while we filmed. Um, several cast members had been sober for years, AA and NA. Wow. And uh, were going to meetings in Atlanta where we were filming mm-hmm. um, and taking each other to meetings. And um, wow. so the the coolest conversations I had about sobriety and about the program and everything else were with Ewan McGregor and Rebecca Ferguson and Stephen King. Um, and making Doctor Sleep was when I decided to get sober. Um, and while I didn't connect <laughs> as much with AA as Dan Torrance you know, or as some of my cast and, and Stephen King as well. Um, there was something to the community of it and to the supportive spirit of it mm-hmm. that I thought was pretty beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll always think that. Yeah. Uh, and I got to write to Steve about a year after the movie came out um, <laughs> when I was celebrating my, my first year sober, uh, my first birthday. And I sent, King an email and and said I didn't tell you this at the time, but you know today is today is my my one year sober anniversary and and I don't think I would have done it and I don't think I'd be able to do it if it weren't for the experience I had making Doctor Sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. And he wrote back and said congrats and he said and what a coincidence um, today is my thirtieth anniversary. We have the same sober day. Uh, Whoa! Sorry, I, I yelled so loud. I know, isn't that crazy? And I did not know that. Um, and he was off to a meeting, and um, that's yeah, wild. And so we have, by by honest coincidence, we have the same the same sober uh, birthday. Um, that would have been so, a wild thing for you to stage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, and and he was off you know, three decades later off to, off to a meeting where he was going to sit and look at the 12 steps and I'm Mm -hmm. sure share, you know, share a little, a little (laughs) moment uh, along his way. So, um, so yeah, my, my feelings about AA and my fascination with AA uh, are complicated Mm -hmm. because I, I've seen firsthand a lot of the beauty that's come out of it Mm -hmm. um, regardless of, my inability to access it mm-hmm. um, because of the the kind of faith-based core of it. But yeah, it's, it's still something I find beautiful and fascinating. And I have seen it improve a lot of people's lives. Mm. Um, and I guess that's the thing with religion, right? Is that to the degree that people can improve themselves, it can be beautiful. And to the degree that people can cause misery for others can be monstrous and it really kind of 
the only thing that matters is what what they do right yeah and, it's yeah. almost like we need different names for like your religious faith versus like your shoving of your faith yeah. of your like externalizing of your faith feels different than I rely on my relationship with God to keep me going, which I, tons of people talk about and I feel fine with and, you know, no problem there. So second it is externalized and, and pushed out, even like, God, they're evangelists. Like that's their whole jam is share, you know, spread the gospel. And boy, that's obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. When it's, you're, I think you're totally right. When it's inward, mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's an incredible thing. And the minute it becomes outward, it's 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 destructive mm -hmm. and and that's just such a such a sad sad thing about it yeah yeah it, it really is it, 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 <coughs> you know religion is neither good nor bad it is what people do with it it's all yeah. it, it and it's hard when people know i'm an atheist and i don't know if you have the same thing that people think it means you dislike it means you think christians are stupid yeah. or or whatever and that's when yeah. on midnight mass um aaron's character is devoutly catholic aaron yeah yeah aaron okay. aaron's the yes kate is the actress aaron's first okay um and that was something i clocked immediately like i don't think i knew much about like your background but like okay so this guy's an atheist but she's Catholic and she's not, she's being treated with respect and dignity and, and valued and not like dismissed by our atheist character. Like, I don't know. I just kind of got myself onto a little no, no. no, it's, it, it is. No, I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's, there is that feeling that like, if you're an atheist, you must have hostility ingrained mm -hmm. all religious people, mm -hmm. which I think is not the case at all. And, and the atheists I know are the like some of the sweetest humans in the world. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think it it's it's directly kind of proportional to the degree of control and hostility a person would project on someone else. Mm -hmm. And it's I I respect I've I've you know family members and friends who are deeply religious who I think are wonderful people. Mm -hmm. And I I them I will respect their their faith and what it does for them. Mm -hmm. If they were to weaponize that against someone else, my degree of respect for them would decline proportionally, you know, uh, or vanish entirely. Uh, but yeah, it's, I think I, as I get older, I'm very much, I, I plant my flag much more in humanism where it's like, yeah, the degree of respect to which I give an organization or a belief system mm -hmm. or a person depends entirely on how it treats others. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Excellent. Uh, any quick thoughts on two storms you want to share? My favorite episode of show of all time. Oh, holy crap. That thing. Um... It seems like a bear. I in my initial email, I, I said to Mike, I was like, I want to watch a feature length documentary about the making of that. One of my uh, best friend's husband is a camera operator out of uh, uh, Louisville. If you ever need somebody, um, <laughs> he's incredibly uh, talented. And we were talking about, we, we all love the show. And I was like, Jeff, you need to like, can we watch it together? And you can like walk me through how they would have done it. And he's like, Jess, I don't know. I don't just know because I'm a camera operator. <laughs> I wasn't there. Um, but I know there's like a little featurette, but so this, the episode is at a funeral and it's all one shot. Yeah. 
It's 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 actually five shots made to look like one shot. <gasps> when did the uh, ice stop, Mike? I know it's oh. well, we couldn't. Yeah, we couldn't do the whole. <laughs> but, um, but we had to like we built uh, our two sets, the funeral set and the Hill House set, um, on adjacent stages with a hallway that connected them because we knew we had to walk. Mm-hmm. From one to oh, the other. It was so episode. fucking cool the first it's time so you cool. watched them walk through it. It's um we built the whole season around that episode mm-hmm. and uh we rehearsed it for I mean I have footage of us walking the build like we had the whole design of Hill House had to have access points for cast and crew for that episode. Mm-hmm. And so it it drove everything and we rehearsed for months and months and months and months. Uh, we shut down production to continue rehearsing at one point our studio didn't want us to do it anymore because it was expensive and difficult and uh-huh. they were like well, just shoot it like a normal episode and we said no yeah we have to do it um we rehearsed it with uh, there's you know on set uh there's a group of people called second team who are the stand-ins for mm-hmm. for the actors they usually they stand on their marks they're there while we're lighting. Mm-hmm. So the actors aren't standing there for an hour waiting to be lit. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of second teamers, a lot of stand-ins are actors. You know, th- that's one of the ways to kind of stay on set and and network and mm-hmm. keep keep working while they work their way up. Um, and for us, that whole episode was performed from top to tail by our second team. <laughs> Acted out the whole episode like a play. And we practiced with them to teach the camera operators all the moves and the lighting operators because there's hundreds of lighting cues. Uh-huh. Um, so for months, it was just us and the, the actors were nowhere near. And uh, we had their stand-ins mm-hmm. who were performing it as though they were playing the parts and probably ran it a thousand times easily. Oh. Um and I have it all filmed because we were rolling on it toward the end when we were really close to having it done. We filmed the whole episode with this other cast. Um, oh. And then when the principal cast came in, um, they'd been on hiatus for the holidays while we were working on the app. And they they all came back and I sat the cast in a room and I played the episode for them and said, you guys have to do that. <laughs> And we've all learned it. The camera department's learned it. You know, the choreography of it. We had to run in and pull chairs out from behind everybody so that the camera didn't hit them and then put them right mm-hmm. back. So they turned around and fly out equipment and move walls and like do all this crazy stuff. Um, well, can I just add in, if anybody hasn't seen this, in addition to the fact that this is like one shot that's going, also there's statues that get turned. Like there's just like little pieces that get moved. That's not just you're following somebody around a house. It is like, obviously shit is like the, I think the best moment in it is when it's all the kids and then they do another sweep and it's them as children. Yeah. I mean, just, oh, it's so good. You guys, if you haven't watched it, what are we doing? Anyway, continue, uh, continue please. <laughs> well, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it remains the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Would you uh, do it again? No. Would you, do you regret having done it? No, I love it. I'm 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 so proud of it um we almost didn't do it it Mm -hmm. it we so many times we were that close to completely failing Mm -hmm. on it um and even at the end we only barely survived it like by the skin of our teeth Uh um I look at it now and uh we relied on 
I mean, it, it, we asked more of our Dolly grip on that episode than I think anyone will ever ask of him in his career ever again. Um, every crew member had to, you know, do a thousand percent yeah. of what they typically did. And I look at it now and all the things that could go wrong. And I don't know that I have the hunger or the determination that I had then mm. to go through with it. I think now I, I would have hit a point and been like, no. Uh, Did you feel like you were proving something or just you wanted to manifest this thing in your head? <laughs> I, it was my first TV show. I wanted a career in TV. Mm. It was an awful shoot. It was a shooting that show was no fun. And we were on the brink of extinction kind of all the time. Wow. And I, I felt by the time we got to that episode, which we did toward the end, um, that there was a good chance that my career in television was over um, and that this show was going to be the only thing I did. And so I wanted to leave everything on the field. It was it was like, all right, if we're if we're going down, we're going down swinging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I had world quote? <laughs> yeah, and it really was like. In the pitch, when I pitched the show, I had pitched this episode without knowing how to do it. And <laughs> um, and I didn't want to retreat and kind of be like, well, we couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it turned into this, this Mount Everest challenge for the cast and crew. Um, and we put everything we had on it. And uh, if the show hadn't been a hit, my thing was I'll always have that episode yeah, we will have always done that. Mm -hmm. um, and for the longest time, I thought the show wasn't going to be a hit. It, it uh, when it when it came out, everyone had kind of walked away from it, and the enthusiasm at Netflix and mm -hmm. Paramount and Amblin wasn't high, and Steven Spielberg had taken his name off the show, and and it was his name was on the show. It wasn't. He took it off. It was supposed to be though. Yeah, so it was, it was an Amblin Partners show. Oh. And, and he Ooh. um he decides kind of along the way if he wants to put Steven Spielberg presents you know on the show. Whoa! And and along the way, you know, the decision came down that he was like, nah. But okay. you know, happy happy for you guys. He was <laughs> not that he wasn't supportive, but he was just kind of it was everything was lukewarm, and and there was this sense that you know the show could come out and just evaporate, mm -hmm. uh, like so many shows do. Mm -hmm. And I'd already moved on. I'd, I'd gone on to Doctor Sleep, mm -hmm. um, and I was like, "Get me back in the in the theaters and away from TV." TV almost killed me. I lost forty five pounds making that show. Um, Whoa! Yeah, I I I I came out of it looking like like I was about to die, <laughs> and um, and it it you know it brutalized personal relationships uh, within the cast and crew and it, it just put an enormous amount of strain on everybody so we, we finished the show and was kind of like no more tv <laughs> um and then it you know the show hit and it it did really well and people really loved it and all of a sudden all of that you know strife was kind of forgotten and all of a sudden i had a career in tv and i've been riding that wave ever since but um but yeah i i I don't have the the fortitude today that I had mm. and and the sense of just everything being on the line. Sure. I'm too comfortable now to do that. I'm but. really uh, surprised to hear that it was an unfun shoot because in my head, if a director is 
writer director is constantly reusing the same cast members. It's like we had such a great time in the last one. Let's do another one. Oh yeah, this and, sounds and, like it's like, hey guys, remember that miserable project we all did? Who wants to do another one? Oh yeah, <laughs> and and there is there is a sense of you know there's this there people make the childbirth analogy sometimes where. It's like, <laughs> You know, there, there's a there's a sense that you you forget the labor pains afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, a, a lot of the 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 cast who come back on my stuff, you know, we we it's because we're we're we've been in the trenches together, and, mm-hmm. and you know, even if it's hard, we we believe in each other. Um, you know, not everybody comes back too. You know, some people didn't come mm-hmm. out of Hill House and be like, no, I'm good. That was- <laughs> that was enough you know um (laughs) and didn't come back for the next one you know so or decide to take a break Mm -hmm. we'll come back like i'm going to take the next one off but then catch me later yeah Um, but yeah it was a it was a very hard shoot that one and um it's funny for the longest time i would point at that and kind of be like it's the most successful and life-changing project i did Mm -hmm. and i hated it while we were doing it I, i every day was like I had to force myself through the process. It was such a, such a crushing experience to do it. Um, <laughs> on a show I, I loved and characters I loved and with actors I loved and crew I loved. It was just um, that that one for whatever reason was tortuous. And I used to tell people that it was like, yeah, that was the worst production experience I ever had. Wow. Um, and then Midnight Mass was the best production experience I ever had. And like a fraction of the people who saw Hill House watched Midnight Mass. So there's always this kind of thing of like, you know, the ones that hurt the most tend to do really great. Uh The ones that felt great while you did them, like, don't don't hit as hard. Yeah. Did you have a special, uh, like when I used to wait tables, I always had a stall where I would go when I cried. Did you have a special (laughs) corner that you... That you hate to scream or cry. Oh yeah, and and you know I used to be I I never uh, made it to to waiting tables. I was a busboy. Oh, and so I I I had a spot. Uh, I was busing at Outback Steakhouse, and I had a spot where I would steal a loaf of bread and hide in the corner and eat this <laughs> loaf of bread and be sad. Um, <laughs> and uh, I still have that feeling. Uh, whenever whenever a show comes out, I'm always just like I'm. I duck and cover every time one of these things is released and there's kind of no way I'm never going to feel good about it until the show's a year old (laughs) and it doesn't matter anymore. And then I'll be like, Oh yeah, that was, I'm really happy with that. You should start (laughs) buying those loaves and just keeping them in your house when you're, when you're stressed and just start mawing on them. (laughs) Yeah. Stress, stress eating the Outback Steakhouse bread. Do you read, you you said you read reviews, you read reviews of your work. Do, Do you take it personally? Absolutely. Uh-huh, and me too. It's one, of the, it's one of the worst habits I have. Mm-hmm. Um, Literally I on this show, at the end of every episode, I generally read a mean review out loud because I'm like, look at this shit, people, because people don't like me personally a lot. Um, and anyway, it, isn't that it, it? It drives me crazy that like the internet has become this place where people can just stab strangers. It's really. Um, you know what happened actually? Somebody wrote a really shitty review like about me personally, like my voice and my laugh or whatever. I read it on the air and and at this point I'm like, listen to what these people are saying about me. It's fine. I am who you're like, I'm in my mid-30s now. I'm a little more established about like who I am and don't I'm not as worried about strangers. 
Um, but I read this one. And it was just like, Jessica's an idiot. She doesn't have anything important to say, blah, blah, blah. And I read it. And then she emailed us and was like, hearing my words on your show broke me. Like, I felt terrible and went back and updated it. And wow. I don't know what to take away from that story, but it's really interesting to me. It's, it is. It's, um, I had a, a similar experience when Dr. Sleep came out and someone had, I'd put up a thing on Twitter and someone had put just a really kind of shitty comment about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually responded to the comment, which I is, I have a rule to never, <laughs> that's your first problem. <laughs> never do it. You know, But for whatever reason, in this moment, I was like, it's important for me that they know that I saw it and that I'm upset. Like that's going to, like that's going to do anything. You're making really good decisions at the time. Uh, terrible decisions but it was a really this one worked out then the guy it was it was fascinating because he dm'd me after the fact and was like look i don't have anything personal against you i'm going through a really hard time and i didn't mm -hmm. think you'd be that you know um and then i wrote him back and was like i'm sorry to hear about the hard time and we actually are still in touch no. like years later yeah and and like it it turned out to be it turned out to be a really healthy interaction. And we both were like, I'm sorry that I just kind of came at yeah. you because I don't know anything about you. And and um and I was just as as <laughs> out of line in my response to him. Right. And so we we both kind of put down the knives and then like he's a good dude and we've been we've been pretty good friends ever since. But like it's um <laughs> It's the strangest thing, I think, to your experience that I don't I don't think people really understand what they're putting out. Mm -hmm. And and that's a fascinating thing that if if it's put held up in front of them again, mm -hmm. that it's like, oh, oh shit. But, that but like, yeah, that we have we have these lives that are so full of kind of unknowable triggers and stressors and, mm -hmm. and anxieties. And if you can scream it into a void mm -hmm. and just lash out at something, it can it can feel better. And and I think the internet has done an incredible job of holding each other up as targets for that. Mm -hmm. And I think most people, I like to think most people, if they really were to look at it, would be like, I wouldn't say that right. to another person. This isn't how I really feel. It's it's just a it's a strange thing we do. I've had interactions with that like that on Facebook that it's like somebody said something whatever and I responded and they're like this isn't real life it's Facebook and it's like well I'm a human being and I read your mean words about me so it is a little bit my life. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's so real and and it's and it's one of the reasons why at like my wife my producer they're all like stop reading the stuff about the shows. Mm -hmm. Um and and we how interesting is it too that we can shove aside positive things. Oh boy, am I good at that? Yeah, Ooh. you just that it's like doesn't even register. Well, that guy's an idiot if he thinks yeah. I'm good. So yeah, <laughs> but that's not even worth yeah. the attention. But somebody says something negative and we grab it, and then like it echoes. And like I'll sit up at two in the morning and be like, oh yeah, <laughs> and like be like, like like determined oh. at two a.m. to like have a rebuttal. And mm -hmm. it's like there's no rebuttal. Like this person doesn't like me or... I do that in the shower I imagine arguments that I win 
Yeah. It's like, and it, oh, like, this person thinks I'm this. Well, I'll show them. <laughs> you got this perfect like fantasy response <laughs> that just dunks on them. And then they just go, I'm sorry. Yeah. Fade <laughs> oh my away. God. Oh my God, yeah. you're right. I never thought of it that way. I yeah. just needed you <laughs> to say that to me just now. You did it. Congratulations. You, you showed me. Mind. <laughs> yeah. I, my mind's changed. Yeah. I've, I've come around and it's of course it isn't that way and it's it's the it's the strangest thing i'm sorry you have to to deal with that mm. uh, i mean it's just part of being i don't know what do you think it's part of not that i'm like famous in any way but we've got like twenty thousand downloads so like it, there's a little bit of a presence <laughs> do you feel like personally when people attack you like is it i'm a bad person because i made this movie <laughs> Because sometimes that's I, how I feel. I'm like, oh, I guess yeah. I'm just a bad person. <laughs> no, I mean, it, I yeah. Sometimes it really gets in. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can really, it can really get in there. And and there are times I've had to put away the internet, mm-hmm. and be like, I need to step away from it for a month for, mm-hmm. for self care. And it's interesting because when you got in touch, you know, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of kind of cold requests mm-hmm. on podcasts in particular. I don't tend to do them. Um, and, and your show interested me, you know, I, I very much like what you are talking about and what you have to say. And, and so I get a lot of these, of, of these requests and I got to the point at one point where I got paranoid that they were traps that it was, yeah, I, I got into this bizarre place where it was just like, you know, how do I know that like, if I go out there and I talk about something personal, mm. you know, um, and this one I knew kind of going in, it's like, we're talking about atheism. We're talking about alcoholism. Right. This is personal. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you get, you do it every time you you record a show, you're putting mm-hmm. yourself on a personal level out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like this sense of like people waiting in the wings with the knives. Mm-hmm. That, you know, um, and the older I get, the more flinchy I've gotten and the more withdrawn I've gotten and the less eager I am to to talk mm. in public um, because I do take it personally. And I, and, I, and I have this like growing sense of discomfort with my life being visible mm. because it just, you know, you don't remember the positive impact it has and you take you take that negative weight with you it gets heavier mm-hmm. um but yeah I, i'm sorry you have to deal with it because you know you you started the show to talk about something very important to mm-hmm. you um and to share that in the hopes that it could uh that it could galvanize other people mm-hmm. uh, and inspire conversation and that's a vulnerable place to be uh on the world wide web well so. and i and this is uh, my co-host. His name's Hemant. Um, we are very different in that he doesn't talk about his family. He like, and I am like an open book. I talked about my miscarriage. I've talked about like sexual assaults that I've experienced. I'm very much an open book because I have the fortitude to be able to tell my story. Um, and I know that helps people because anytime I have those conversations, I get however many emails saying like thank you for talking about like everybody's ashamed to talk about miscarriages that's this this, this horrible thing and for me and I can be that person for them if if they need it but that also means that people know a lot about my life and I have to be aware of that and be careful with that and 
I don't know, I've gotten recognized in public a couple times, which is very strange for a podcaster. I have a very <laughs> distinctive looking dog and she draws a lot of attention. Um, but it is, I don't know, is it, sometimes it does feel like people are waiting to catch you. Yeah. That is what I feel of. More than anything else, that's how I feel, is that people who write in with things like that, they're not doing it. There are people who say, hey, you got this thing wrong. You misunderstood this thing. Let me help you understand it. And I am more than happy to take that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but when it feels like a gotcha thing, it's like, to what end? To what end? What are we doing here? Like, do you feel better? Do you disagree with what I said? No, you just didn't like the word I used. Right. Okay. Okay. Thanks for letting me know. Thank you. <laughs> now, I, now I know that Brad doesn't like when I call something this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and it's like what, what, what does Brad feel when he turns off the computer? I guess is my question. Into your yeah, like what do you get out of it? What? It, what I think yeah. sometimes it's just. I think often it's just attention. I yeah. think that criticizing something is a quick way to get somebody's attention, and they feel good about that. It feels good grabbing somebody's attention who you listen to or admire or whatever it's it's cool it's cool for me to talk to you I like your art this is neat like I get it um but I don't know what Brad feels after that I think Brad feels like he's helping I truly think that he thinks that I'm like this dumb lady who doesn't get x and he really needs to help me with that but I mean, it is a lot of condescension. And it's also just people dis not that this is now all about me. It's people just disliking me personally. Like, if they, somebody dislikes your show, you can take that personally. But if yeah. somebody dislikes my show, it's like, oh, just particularly, <laughs> we do not care for your bullshit. And that took a lot longer to get over of not just like people don't like this or that, or they think I'm too loud or I laugh too loud, which is true. Um, it took a long time for people, for me to be like, oh, this person just genuinely thinks I'm a capital B bad person and <laughs> I just have to move on with my life. I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. You're not going to win them over. Right. And um, I don't care to anymore. No. And you're right. You know, I, I, I get, I get away with, being behind the camera a lot of people you know i can put out a piece of my work and no one will have any idea mm -hmm. uh, that i'm there but i look at you know what you do i look at, at what kate does you know and it's like when you're out there in yourself yep your voice your face mm -hmm. you know it's a whole different level of you know not, i think fortitude for one mm -hmm. um but a whole different level of of vulnerability on the web and yeah. and it, it it just makes me sad that it's like um, one of the things I learned was the fastest way I could become enraged was to say on Twitter that I liked something. That why just why can't I just yeah. like things? Yeah, why do just people say, have to explain to me why something is actually bad. Yeah, or or why I should like something else more, or just to say I liked this movie that I just saw, and it's like you just wrong. Dozens, yeah, wrong yeah, and it's like no i did i promise i was there i yeah, liked it i enjoyed it and yeah. it doesn't how matter. is this controversial yeah like you didn't cool, cool. like watch yeah. literally anything else it's we're in the age of streaming <laughs> like yeah. i actually like but that that feeling of of um 
of of a kind of cultural desire to just smack mm. down someone's enjoyment, their opinions, just just to smack. It's like the internet is just this thing where people get to smack around them mm-hmm. and somehow feel uplifted or fulfilled by it. But I, I suspect not. I suspect mostly just feel angrier. Yeah. <laughs> like and and yeah, it's it's you know it's it's rough. Yeah, and it's kind of addictive. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm still there every day. Uh I I show up every day, and and I had to actually unfollow every like Facebook news feed that I followed because I could not stop waiting in. Every time I saw, like, in peak COVID, I would see, like, 14-year-old kid dies, and it's laugh reactions, and it's, well, that kid was chubby anyway, blah, 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 and I'm just like, I gotta get in there, and then I do, and I feel shitty for the next yeah. two hours, and so I was just like, I can't even see it, because I don't have the self-control to not say something. Yeah. It's <sighs> Which is so true. just the piss. Just absolutely. Yeah. Does, um, does Kate ever deal with... um? people mixing her up with her characters that's what i always th- oh yeah um no very much and and she's, she's funny because she can kind of spot it where she'll be like oh no this person you know this person's just talking to theo crane uh-huh. or, you know or this person was expecting theo crane and yeah. i walked in as me and it upset them um or uh, wearing gloves <laughs> i know it's, and she gets she gets spotted all the time so you know it's something that happens very frequently when when we're out in public now um, which makes us go out less. Yeah, uh, and it it started out as being so exciting mm-hmm. and and flattering, um, but yeah, there's a lot of people who have this image of her in their head, um, and get weirdly personal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but she still, you know, she loves interacting with her fans, mm-hmm. and you know, she goes and does the convention circuit here and there, and really gets to interact with them, and and some mm-hmm. of the who she comes across kind of for every bumpy experience there's like five ones that are really positive and and people who really you know uh, who she really made a difference for somewhere there and then she can immediately forget those and just focus on the ones that are weird just about the bad ones yeah um but she she handles it better than i do to Mm -hmm. be honest uh she's better at it and she um she's always a good kind of sounding board for me when I start to go a little, a little crazy <laughs> reading the comments. Yeah. Um, you know, she's quick to kind of remind me of the really important aspects of our lives and, mm-hmm. and that I'm always grateful for. We're doing our first convention together in October. No, Fun. September, September. Um, Where? In Connecticut. Connecticut. Uh, yeah. It's a Connecticut horror con. Um, it's something she was doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I uh, Henry Thomas is doing it, and Annabeth Gish is doing it, and mm-hmm. I've never been available when they've done these before. And Kate was like, "You should come," and I was like, "Nah, okay, fine." Are you excited and or nervous? I'm nervous. Yeah. I it's it's outside of my comfort zone. But she and Henry both were like, "No, there's a lot of people that you meet here who have a personal uh, story to, to tell about something in Hill House or Midnight Mass mm-hmm. that." meant something to them personally and and you should hear some of these stories yeah that mean a lot and and so i'm i'm taking their advice on this one but i'm, I'm a little like uh 
is it like do you have to like sit at a table and wait for them to come up and like make yeah. small talk are you really good at small talk awful at small talk <laughs> I, i'm i'm just terrible at it and and like there's this sense that i'm like everybody here has like paid money to be here mm. i'm gonna fuck this up for them i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna like ruin their experience because i'm gonna be boring um are and, you doing a panel or anything uh, I am. I'm doing a panel. I'm doing I tried to I tried to make it so that if people were if anyone was there excited to kind of to see me or Kate or haunting people that like they'd get something out of it mm -hmm. um, that they can't get on, out of Google, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I tried to maximize it because I just have this like feeling of like, I'm sorry that that, you know, this is all you get. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is who I am. Yeah. I'm disappointed by it too, but we're all gonna move on together. Yeah, we're all gonna make it through this and, and like I just wanna get back to the hotel room to like eat pizza and bed and watch TV. Like, you know, but we're all gonna make it through. And if if the shows or the movies have have meant something to them, you know, that's and they wanna express that, then it's like I, I wanna I wanna be there for that and I wanna mm -hmm. thank them for that because yeah. they're the reason. I have a career if if you know if people hadn't watched hill house over and over again um Don't which most people did yeah, yeah uh, gotta i gotta find those ghosts gotta find those gotta ghosts, find the ghosts. <laughs> um then I, I wouldn't i wouldn't have a career so it's yeah. in a lot of ways i'm there to kind of to say thank you mm. and to just kind of be there for for anyone who wants to say something because you know, I've I've met people. I've been fortunate that I've met people whose work has made a difference in my life in a big way. Mm -hmm. I've gotten it's like with with Stephen King, who when for most of my life, if you told me I could have reached out and said thank you to Stephen King, yeah, I I would have been like that sounds insane, insanity. Um, but I was in a position where I could, and and it was really meaningful for me to reach out to him and say thank you for helping me get sober, even though you had no idea you were doing mm -hmm. um and i'm sure for him it was just you know uh, okay mm -hmm. but it, it meant a lot to me so it's 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 um i'm hoping that it's that kind of experience and i mean yeah. i think it will be because i've been again on both sides of that coin and had somebody come up like literally i i did a meetup in la and this dude literally came in for i think five minutes between shifts came in was like hi I can't stay I'm so sorry I just wanted to say you know this monologue to you thank you I have to go by like and it feels so good to thank the person for yeah. bringing you comfort or joy or you know I talk to a lot of people who are like in the bible belt and so they can't talk about things like this in public and the our podcast of us like bullshitting and talking about the news and everything is their only outlet of like-minded people yeah. discussing things that they care about. And, you know, that's, that's important. And, but, but yeah, do we have any more haunting series is this coming out? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I, at, at the moment anyway, no. Um, you know, the haunting shows are tough. They're, they're tough to do. And all those ghosts. All those ghosts, all those hidden ghosts. Um, but yeah, is that something you regretted immediately? Oh, that that I always loved, and yeah. and it was a last minute thing. 
It was, yeah. it was like, it was part of the pitch where I was like, we can hide ghosts the way they do in pictures. Uh, and then everybody kind of forgotten about it while we were in prep. And I went to local casting and I was like, just get me, give me two or three people every day who are in full ghost makeup and just have them standing by. I don't know when I'm going to put them in, but if you just every day, if you have them there, I will find a way to make it work. And it was like, I'd come to work and you're dealing with all these problems and all this stuff. And I'd look over and at the craft service table, you'd have like these three ghosts eating candy. And it was so fun. And, and like, I'd be like, all right, come here. Like we're going to go to the piano or come here. You get behind, behind the curtain. And it became this fun joke of like, I'd try to hide them in a way where the cast didn't know they were there. Oh, and that was the fun of it. Funny. It was like, Carla. yeah. And, and, and it was, it was a fun little way to keep things light. <clears throat> um, and I knew it would be fun for the audience eventually, but we were, we felt that felt like 10 years away. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool to have Carla come in and do a scene and then to kind of be like, Hey, Carla, look, uh... <laughs> and she'd turn and there's someone right here. And she'd be like, God damn it. You know? Um, That's and so funny. But, like that stuff was really just fun. Um, but uh, but yeah, the <laughs> I don't I don't think there's another haunting in the future. I I always kind of said if the right idea pops up, but I didn't want to force it, and I didn't want to just crank out shows with the haunting. The haunting of, of yeah yeah, um, and just regurgitating what we did. Mm -hmm. I always wanted it to be different. Um, yeah. and I just I don't have an idea for one, so I, I'm just kind of like. Ah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other horror novels from that era that haven't been adapted, and they're all they've all been done. Well, we we made a list. We have we have a, a list of like all the classic horror literature, uh -huh. and I have a, a bunch of like half finished ideas that would run out of gas. Uh -huh. um, but the thing that always kind of every time it was like, well, do I do Haunting Three or I want to do Midnight Mass? I really mm. want to. Or it was like, well, you know, we could go back and talk about the haunting, but, you know, we've got these Christopher Pike books ready to go. And like, it's really important to try to make something my kids can watch. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> follow the House of Usher for a hot second. It was like, maybe that could be the haunting. The haunting of the House of, the House of Usher. But it wasn't a ghost story. Oh. And, and so it was like, the Poe stuff isn't really ghost stories. And, you know, it's not really a haunting. Yeah, it would be forcing it too. Yeah, it, it was it was really forcing it, and it was like, so no, we're just doing we're doing this cool Poe show, but uh -huh. it's not haunting. Um, and so I've gotten to the point now where I'm just kind of like, I, I don't want to force it. Mm. If something comes along, great. But you know, I always thought of that as a one-off. I didn't think it was like a an anthology series. Bly Manor just felt like <laughs> it felt like it would work. Yeah, in the framework. Yeah, and even then, you know, we the criticism came in that it was different than Hill House. And it's yep, like, well, yep. well, yeah, it's Correct. a gothic romance. Congratulations yeah. on watching two different shows. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was like, yeah, you know, we, why would we just do Hill House again? Yeah. We just did it. Yeah. Um, we wanted it to be it. different. So, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I think uh, the haunting might be behind me, but mm. um, we'll see if, if, if an awesome story shows up, we'll see. Do you prefer adaptations over original ideas um I, I, I don't like it, you're like half and half kind of right yeah i i don't really have a preference um sometimes there's a piece of material i i'm madly in love with and i can't wait to kind of riff on it mm -hmm. 
and then sometimes an original thing just roars out and and um i don't have a one each each are challenging in their different ways and i love the comfort of having at least a roadmap that comes with adaptation as opposed to sure. blank page you have to make it up <laughs> yeah it, like that can be really tough but i also love the freedom of the blank page mm -hmm. and and not worrying about oh am i going to piss off the author or the fans mm -hmm. um so yeah i i love them both and <laughs> I think I TV for whatever reason started with adaptation. So that seems to be kind of the mm -hmm. touchstone we keep going back to. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, the industry is so IP driven now where they, yep. they feel more confident if they can point to a book or yeah. something. Um, but I, you know, my favorite one was, was midnight mass. And, and it, in a lot of ways was my favorite because uh, it was, it, it was mine. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I love them all. I, I'm just lucky to get to work. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I just love telling stories. So I, if we get to keep doing that, then great. Do you ever see yourself doing like an, an actual series instead of like a limited series? Or yeah. do you yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. yeah, I think limited series are like novels. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Um, but Midnight Club is designed to be open-ended. Oh, okay. Designed to keep going mm -hmm. if they want it to. Um, the You know, the risk with that is, they never decide until it's already out. So you have to figure out how to end it in a way that is lets... both satisfying yeah. and leaves the door open. Yeah. And I, I hate that. Like That's I hate having that life. Um, <sighs> like, I'd love to do an ongoing series. I'd love to. It, it, you... So I feel like a criticism and I'm so sorry. I've kept you two full hours. No, if sure. you need to, if you need to bounce, please do. Um, uh, but oh, I, I've heard criticism. So for Lost is the thing I'm thinking of, of like, they did this series and just didn't have an ending in mind for it. Yeah. And so it did what it did. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas like, especially like in the UK, they tend to be like, okay, we're doing this five series, you know, season or whatever. Do you think it is possible to go into, like, if you went into a show, would you say, okay, I want to do five seasons of this, and this is the storyline of it? Or do you want to say, like, here's my pitch for a show. Can I do a few seasons? How many? I, I like to have it mapped out. And I think that's the difference between Lost and The Wire, you know? Yes, so, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> I, I think it's important to know the size of the story mm -hmm. and, and where you're going and how you keep it going so you don't have to tread water or, or kind of... We break it. Uh, so I I like the British model where it's like this is what it is. Yeah, it's really hard to get people to commit to it in the American marketplace. Oh, um, of course. It's it's the the trick is because I've developed shows that are five seasons and two movies. You know. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Brought, brought that to people and been like, yeah. here's the whole thing, and they're like, well, we'll see how it goes. You know, we'll do one, we'll do a pilot and see how it goes. It's like, well, but. There's almost no point in starting this yeah. if we're not going to finish it, um, and and so it's dicey. It's 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 a crapshoot. Is having your own production company protection against that kind of like wishy washy stuff or no? Not really, because we we can't finance anything. Mm. So we can we can make it, mm -hmm. but if we're doing a series, it's Netflix's money. Gotcha. Um, and they have to say yes. They have to order the show. So if someday maybe the company is successful enough that we could afford to bankroll our own show, mm -hmm. that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, I can't at all. And and so, you know, 
any movie TV show, I can only do it if someone else agrees to pay for it. And <clears throat> that's a harder ask mm -hmm. as the industry keeps changing. Yeah. Um, but, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, I, I have some projects that are crazy ambitious and would take 10 years to make and, you know, would be a hundred hours of, of stuff mm -hmm. and getting someone to say, yeah, I'll, I'll commit to that is mm -hmm. really hard. Um, and I think they did it. I think about when they made Lord of the Rings and committed to that. To all three at all once. Three. And I'm like, wow, yeah. like how the hell did that happen? And even Peter Jackson would say that wouldn't happen today. No, no way. So it's, it's um, the industry has changed so much and is always changing. Yeah. It's hard to do it. So I like limited series because I can say to them, if it doesn't work out, the story's over. Right. Yeah. Uh, You're done with it. Yeah. Capitalism is really cool to make art with. Capitalism uh, really helps artists. <laughs> they're so diametrically opposed. It's absolutely opposed. Um, over your left shoulder, is that a shy piece of the shining carpet? Yeah, it's so this is the um my god cool i just saw like the little sliver he's showing me the axe and it's framed with the uh with the overlook hotel rug pattern yeah it's and that's, that's the, dope the as hell from the end of dr sleep um i have the i have the carpet that we we rebuilt the hotel uh-huh and i have the carpet in my office do you? I've thought about doing an Overlook Hotel carpet somewhere. I just think it'd be so cool. <laughs> it's awesome. It's it's the carpet's beautiful. Um, but yeah, I, I try to, I keep little mementos from all the movies. Um, I love that carpet. I love to think about things that become iconic, kind of, incidentally. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I I wonder, and you may know. Do you know? Like, do they? pick that carpet like this is a like weird mazy carpet or that's what was in the hotel yeah uh, it's you know it was all part of the build so they, yeah. they built that that whole interior mm -hmm. someone presented stanley kubrick with a series of carpet options uh -huh. and that was one where he went yep um and Good there are a couple of, yeah it's the the carpet in room uh 237 and the carpet in the gold room um are all different and mm -hmm. all equally crazy and cool <laughs> But that one, for whatever reason, just became instant. So iconic. Yeah. And it's the thing when we were trying to recreate it, we couldn't find it anywhere that wasn't kind of like a fan, mm -hmm. you know, like, like a recreation. Mm -hmm. I don't think it existed before the movie. I think someone just presented a pattern and Kubrick said, yep. <laughs> and print it. Interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's, it is pretty cool. Um, that's Look, I actually got to get going. Oh, you mean two um, hours is too long to commit to a podcaster you've never met? That's so no, look, rude. This was like... a, a total joy, though, or or I definitely wouldn't have stayed for two hours. <laughs> this um... was so much fun. I, I do want to say, like, I absolutely love your work. I think your work with, like, female characters is incredible and something that we sorely need, in especially in horror. Um Midnight Mass just fucking rolls, though. That's the thing. Is Midnight Mass is so fucking good. It's awesome. just a good piece of business. Um, okay. Thank you so much for your time. I cannot thank you enough. This is a very cool opportunity for me. Oh, my dog's here now. Um, <laughs> thank you, sweet girl. This is my dog, Dottie. She's Hi, Dottie. She's the dumbest dog in existence. Um, 
Anyway, I just revealed I'm also wearing sweatpants. Whoops. Um. <laughs> okay, that's okay. So am I. Yay! I'm in the yeah. professionals. Am I? Are you in your like movie theater? I am. This is my uh, little, my little, uh, little tiny movie theater with four seats. So cool. Just for the family, we have there are five, five of us and four seats. Because yes. I built this, it was before my daughter was born, <laughs> and so I have to figure that out. Um, it all sounds like kids are going to be vying for the spots. Like the yeah. worst kid has to sit on the floor that day. I my thing is I'll, I'll sit on the floor and make sure everybody's got stuff, but I need to figure out how to how to make this right. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's a tiny, tiny little, uh, little, tiny little home theater in our in our house. But, um, but yeah, we look, this is something been, similar. Yeah, uh, it's this has been a total joy. Uh, you have my info, so like, drop me a line. I'll put you in touch with Kate. And I I'm appreciate sure that very much. Um, um, wow, Mike, thank you for for this opportunity. I hope it wasn't. Uh, I hope it was somewhat <laughs> enjoyable. Um, oh, it was a blast, a total blast. Thank so, you. Thanks for the great um, conversation. Oof. Thank you so much for this. Um, it was great meeting you. Um, anything that we you need to promote, plug, watch all the stuff <laughs> on Netflix? I don't know. Your shit's no, no, I, I, think we, I think we covered it. Um, yeah. But Maybe I, there's look, two just... people who don't have Netflix yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's great what you do. So please keep doing it and keep doing it the way that you're doing it. And do everything you can to ignore anybody who tells you otherwise um but you've got a fantastic way of communicating and it's wonderful that that you're doing this show so i i'm grateful to be a part of it and i hope you keep keep at it so. thank you so much i'm not gonna cry i'm a professional um mike thank you um i hope you have a great rest of your week and i will be uh be in touch i will let you know when this comes out thank you much thanks mike right. take care take care talk soon bye bye, -bye.